Data. Privacy. Privacy rights versus the public's right to know. Machines are ruled by algorithm, which are made by humans who are ruled by emotion. Explores how the tension between First Amendment and privacy rights has developed within digital media in the modern age. Failing to safeguard young people and their privacy. Welcome to The Lockdown. This is episode five, recorded on November 22nd, 2023. In today's show, I'll be giving a notable mention for Michael Bazell, uh, talking about a new website and Twitter account that I've been very busy working on, why I don't use Brave and the reasons Firefox is still the best option. And then we'll end with when privacy techniques go horribly wrong. Well, first and foremost, I have to acknowledge Michael Bazell. Unfortunately, for many of us, the privacy, security and OSINT show is no more. He's decided to move on to other things. And I get it. You know, for a lot of us, when you build something that becomes very successful, you kind of achieve that thing that you wanted to set out to do in the first place. And it's nice to embark on something new. And one thing I just want to throw out there is this podcast is certainly not a replacement for his show. First of all, I could not compete with the level of knowledge and experience that Michael has. But second, my focus is different. We're focused on practical privacy, not extreme. I mentioned in one of my previous shows about Brill, who's a character in the movie Enemy of the State that pretty much lives in a Faraday cage. Whenever I watch that movie, and I actually watched it again a few weeks ago, I do think of Michael Bazell for some reason. But hopefully Michael is not living in a cage and he assures us that he has sand in his laptop. So he's probably on a beach somewhere. And I know on uh, Reddit, there's been some speculation of where his location is. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Anyway, moving on with the show. Now, I've been very busy this week building a new website for this show. It's going to be live at www.lockdown.media, hopefully in a few weeks. So if you uh, don't see anything now, just keep an eye out for that. And along with that, I've created a new Twitter account, which is at PrivacyPod. And that will be the best place to contact me, along with the website, for sharing information. Now, as with a brand new account, I only have a handful of followers, so it would do me a huge favour if you were to check that out and give me a follow. And also, this is a brand new podcast, and it's new for me. I've only been doing this for five episodes, so I'm still trying to figure things out. How often to release podcast episodes, how long each episode should be, how much content I should try and cram in, um, how to complement this with the website... All of that good stuff. So all I ask is be patient. But if you have any suggestions, contact me on Twitter and uh, drop me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Let's kick off with web browsers in general. We use the browser to do literally everything these days from email, banking, writing documents, notes, watching TV, literally everything. And this makes it a target, low hanging fruit. And I think many people have become rather complacent in their trust of the browser. Most privacy enthusiasts just don't want Google or Microsoft collecting information on their browsing habits or sharing data to third parties. That alone is a good enough reason to lock down the browser in terms of privacy and security. But I also want to shed some light on why I don't trust the default settings for any web browser. Now, by default, both Firefox, Chrome and Brave will offer to store your passwords, store your addresses, credit card information... Now, if I look at this from a cybersecurity perspective, I would go to MITRE. This is a knowledge base of tactics, techniques and procedures. We call these TTPs. 
based on real-world observations of cybersecurity threats. Now, as always, I will share links in the show notes. And if you have a look at MITRE's research on credential theft from browsers, they lift over 70 procedures for stealing passwords from web browsers. They offer one mitigation. Prevent storage of credentials in web browsers. It's just too risky. That's literally it. Now, I've had some people tell me, well, hey, Ray, if the system's compromised, then no matter where the credentials are stored, it could be a web browser or password manager, then it's already game over. But I disagree, and here's why. The main reason I use a password manager, and in fact, I use KeePassXC, which is a local password database, is for isolation. Even when using browser extensions, the core data of the password manager, in other words, the encrypted password database, is stored separately from the browser's own storage. This means that the security of your passwords is not entirely dependent on the browser's security. Now, the big problem I see is browser extensions. And these communicate with the main application that's installed on your system. So whether that be Bitwarden or KeePass, the browser extension is communicating with the main application. So this does provide some level of separation. And it is also secured and encrypted. So hopefully sensitive data isn't exposed to the browser itself. But it's important to note that browser extensions are still subject to some browser-specific vulnerabilities. And this is why I actually prefer not to use the extension for a password manager. I use KeePassXC with the auto-type feature, for example. Now remember, I am looking at the risk profile here. Using a dedicated, isolated password manager simply reduces the risk when compared to using built-in features of a web browser. Now, the argument that a compromised system spells game over, regardless of where credentials are stored, does oversimplify the issue. Yeah, sure, it's true that a compromised system can lead to breached passwords. The nature of the compromise, though, is crucial. Local password managers usually have fewer attack vectors compared to web browsers, which are constantly interacting with potentially malicious websites. Now, local password managers often provide more controlled access settings like auto-locking, encrypted backups, secure password sharing options, and so on. And these features are not always available or indeed not as robust in a web browser. All right, I've talked enough about that. Let me shift the focus onto Brave. Now, if you don't know, Brave is a Chromium-based web browser, which basically means it's built on the same underlying framework as Google Chrome. Now, Chromium itself is open source. It's a project started by Google, and it serves as the foundation not only for Chrome, but other web browsers too, including Brave. Now, Brave is aimed at the privacy community. On the surface, I think the intention is great. Unlike Chrome, Brave automatically blocks ads and trackers by default, It offers some unique features, such as Brave Rewards, which is a system that lets users earn cryptocurrency for viewing privacy-respecting ads. Brave also features a Tor browsing mode, and this offers an extra layer of privacy by routing traffic, or routing for you Americans, through the Tor network. But here's the thing. If you're considering Tor for anonymous web browsing, please just use the official Tor browser, which, by the way, is based on Firefox. Why use a half-baked version of Tor that's built into a Chromium-based web browser? In fact, the Tor project themselves state that using Tor in another browser can leave you vulnerable without the privacy protections of the Tor browser. 
Using a standard browser for Tor is like trying to cook a gourmet meal with just a microwave. Okay, let me list some concerns I have with Brave. First off, by default, Brave whitelists Google and Facebook URLs for cookies and tracking. So sure, they do block cookies and tracking for other sites, but they've whitelisted Facebook and Google. Now, the other concern for me was noticing that Brave had installed a VPN service without the user's permission. Now, I was working recently on a family member's PC, doing some IT support. Despite the fact that I haven't done IT support for a living since the late 90s, they still have labelled me with that role. And what I noticed was Brave had installed a VPN service without their permission. I noticed it running in the system tray. Now, Brave have acknowledged that this probably wasn't a good move and they will be addressing this in a future update. And I'm going to put a link to the uh, issue on uh, the show notes again. But this is just another chink in the armour for me. In fact, a default installation of Brave, if you include these VPN services, actually has five running services versus just one for Firefox. There's the Brave Elevation service, Brave Update service, Another Brave update service. One's Brave, one's Brave M. I'm not sure of the difference. If anyone knows, do let me know. And then there's two VPN services. Uh, one I assume is for OpenVPN. The other one is for WireGuard. When you uninstall Brave, it also left the update services behind. It left uh, a directory in C users, username, app data, uh, local, Brave software. Now, do I think Brave is better than Chrome? Sure, I do. It's great. It's just not for me. I do have to say this, though. Right now, for me, Firefox is the best option. Now, will that change in the future? Yeah, probably. What I recommend today may not be something that I'd recommend in the future. Things can change. Companies get acquired. Mergers happen, which ultimately can leave a negative impact on the future of products and services that we use. It's just the way things are. Now, whether you decide to use Brave or Firefox, I strongly recommend tweaking the settings for better privacy and security. Don't leave it at the defaults. Now, I'm going to share the full details on my new website when it's up. Give me a few weeks for that. But in summary, this is what I do. So for Brave, we'll start with that. If you go to the settings, you get a Get Started section and there's On Startup. Change the Continue Where You Left Off to open a new web page. Or I think it's Open New Tab. I don't want to open my browser and then it opens up the website that I was looking at earlier in the day or the day before. I just don't think that's a good privacy respecting feature. The other section is under appearance and there's four options you want to disable. That's show brave news, show brave wallet, show sidebar and show VPN. Now, these might not necessarily be that closely related to privacy and security, but my rationale behind this is I don't want brave news appearing. I don't want any connections to the internet that I haven't invoked. All these services that run in the background, like the VPN service, news features, they're constantly chattering to the cloud and pulling down information, ultimately revealing my IP address. If you don't have an always-on VPN on your router, then all these connections, even just opening the browser, are happening and tracking your IP. Also under appearance is uh, show autocomplete suggestions in the address bar. I disable that. Again, it's unnecessary communication. Disable top sites, browsing history, bookmarks. And then, we haven't even gotten to this bit yet, there's the privacy and security section. As I mentioned before, private windows with Tor connectivity in Brave are just regular private windows that use Tor as a proxy. 
Brave does not implement most of the privacy protections from the Tor browser, so we're going to disable this. So disable allow privacy-preserving product analytics, automatically send daily usage ping to Brave and private window with Tor. There's clear browsing data. I prefer to have this set to on exit, all. When I close the browser, I want everything wiped. Sight and shield settings, location, camera, microphone. Just go into those settings and click don't allow. There's additional permissions in there uh, for automatic downloads. I think it's a really bad idea when you go to a website for it to initiate a download and it automatically downloads for you. So I prefer it to ask where it wants me to save it because if there's a, a download being automatically initiated, I want to know about that. Now, sure, you have to then click on the executable, or in this case, it could be malware, but I'd rather not have that uh, download to my machine in the first place. There's permissions for USB devices, so don't allow sites to connect to USB devices. Don't allow sites to edit files or folders, that's under file editing. And this one's important, clipboard. Don't allow sites to see text or images on your clipboard. That's enabled by default, and I just don't like that at all. Then there's cookies and site data. Um, block third-party cookies, you want that enabled. And also you want to enable clear cookies and site data when you close all windows. And I'm pretty sure that in the past they didn't have that feature, which is something Firefox does have. I prefer that when I close my browser, all the cookies, everything's wiped. Now that's pretty much it. There's a few extra bits and pieces which I'll cover on the website uh, later on. Um, one of them, as I mentioned, is it allows um, firebaseapp.com and accounts.google.com um, are allowed by default. So you can go into sites that always use cookies. Um, you can't delete them directly uh, unless you disable the use of third-party cookies for legacy Google sign-in and Facebook login. So if you disable that feature, um, then you, they'll be removed. It goes without saying, disable autofill and passwords. And I think the last one under system, it says use WireGuard protocol in Brave VPN. That's enabled. I wouldn't use VPN in Brave use a dedicated VPN service. There's some more settings. If you go to brave colon forward slash forward slash about, this will show you all the other possible settings that are available. Now, again, in Firefox, much of this is the same. I'm going to go through my settings as I speak. So bear with me here. Now, the first thing I have is uh, always ask where to save files. This is on the general um, section of your settings. Save files to download, always ask where to save files. Again, I don't want files being automatically downloaded. Under home, you have Firefox home content. I've deselected all of those. So web search, shortcuts, recommended by pocket, recent activity, snippets, none of that. I don't want that. Homepage and new windows and new tabs open a blank page. Now search, the default search engine, uh, I think it's Google. I've already configured my settings here. Mine's set to DuckDuckGo. You can remove all the other search sites. Firefox is a free web browser. I know how they make their money. You know, they get paid from Google and Yahoo and eBay and anyone else that's listed in there to be uh, featured within the web browser. If you go down to search shortcuts, under search engine, you can remove all those extra ones. I just keep DuckDuckGo in the, in the top there. There's other search engines like bookmarks, tabs, that's just local to your device, so I leave those. But the only internet search engine I have is DuckDuckGo. Now, the main thing under privacy and security, I actually leave at the top there, you have standard, strict or custom. I actually leave that as standard. Now, I complement this with uBlock Origin. 
Firefox is still going to block social media trackers and cross-site cookies, crypto miners, fingerprinters. It's going to do its best. Nothing is flawless. Bear that in mind. Further down, you have send websites a do not track signal. I've only had, I don't have this on always. I don't see a significant benefit here. Um, I don't really care if they're going to try and track me. I'd rather just stop the tracking in the first place. But that's set to only when Firefox is set to block known trackers. Now, here's the key settings that I, I do every time I install Firefox. Cookies and site data. I have selected delete cookies and site data when Firefox is closed. Just to the right of that, you have manage exceptions. I've listed some of the sites I don't want that to happen. So my email, um, I'm not going to list them all. Yeah, I'm not going to reveal that, but I've got a handful of sites in there that will remember cookies because I don't want to have to log into my email with two-factor authentication and uh, things like that. Login and passwords, obviously deselect those. You don't want Firefox to save logins and passwords. You want to deselect user primary password. You don't want allow Windows sign-on for Microsoft. I don't want any of that, so deselect those. Same with forms and autofill. Autofill addresses, autofill credit cards. Get rid of that. Under history, I use uh, custom settings for history, and the only thing I have selected is clear history when Firefox closes. And under settings, it's going to clear browsing and download history, cookies, cat and cache. That's it. Active logins I want to keep because obviously I've got those exceptions in there. Then we have address bar, uh, Firefox suggest. The only items I have selected there is browsing history and bookmarks because they're local. Um, I've turned off suggestions from the web and suggestions from sponsors. Improve the Firefox suggest experience, that's disabled. Um, and then if you scroll down, just like with Brave, turn off location, camera, microphone. Of course, if you need the camera and microphone for a web-based, I don't know, Google Meet, which I wouldn't use anyway, but let's say you do, then obviously you can enable those. Then next in that screen, we have Firefox data collection and use. And by default, again, this is a free product. It's selected to allow Firefox to send technical and interaction data to Mozilla. I've turned that off. Allow Firefox to install and run studies. There's been some controversies about this in the past. I've turned that off. And allow Firefox to send backlogged crash reports on your behalf. Again, turned off. That's it for that page. I'm just scrolling down. There's nothing else I've set there. Sync. I don't use it. I'm not uh, sending anything to the cloud or syncing data. And by the way, with Firefox, I use bookmarks. Every now and then, I export them to an HTML file. It's just a bookmarks.html which I store locally on my device. If I have to reinstall Firefox, I just import that file. But above all else, across both browsers, please install uBlock Origin. Sure, ads are annoying, but that's not the sole reason I install uBlock. It's actually to block ads that potentially uh, carry malware. This is something that's happened many times in the past. I don't want ads showing up that could contain malware. Now, Brave does a good job of having privacy-respecting ads on their browser. Great. But uBlock Origin does more than that. It's really protecting me from you know, potentially unwanted elements loading on web pages. And it's also interesting just on the, the number of tracking uh, items it blocks. If you go to some websites, uBlock will show the number of uh, elements it's blocked. And it can be quite staggering. There are times when some of the privacy techniques we put into place can go wrong and bite us. I actually had that happen to me this week. For a number of years now, I've been using privacy.com. 
I use them to manage a lot of my payments through virtual credit cards, um, or correction, virtual debit cards. I'm a huge fan of what they offer. It enables me to set a limit on a card. I can have a card for every single merchant that I use. It's dedicated to them and it becomes locked to them. So when there is a data breach and those card details ever get exposed, it's not going to work with any other merchant. So there's a big win there. Aside from setting limits, I can also have single-use cards. So it's used one time and then it's automatically closed. But the other huge benefit is they're not tied to my real name. So if I order something from a website, in fact, recently I had to order a spare part for my heating, venting and uh, air conditioning system. I won't bore you with the details of that, but the website didn't really look that legitimate. You know, it, it was okay. Um, it had a part that I needed and I needed to order it. So, you know, I'm not going to trust that they're going to keep my data safe, put it that way. Now, the great thing with privacy.com is the cards that are generated aren't using my real name. So I can put the cat's name or whatever you like there. Um, and then it gets sent to my real address. But if there's a, a data breach and my address is exposed, it doesn't have my name tied to it. And privacy.com has been amazing for me. Now, here's the first problem I had. About a week ago, the funding card was declined. Now, the way you fund a privacy.com virtual card is one of two ways. You can link it to your bank account, and they use a third-party service to do that. Uh, but that's probably a topic for another show. The way I prefer to do it is to link it with my debit card. And they had some technical issues, which meant that they couldn't fund the virtual card. So I was getting lots of transaction decline notices. That in itself is a minor inconvenience. Uh, you know, you don't want to have transactions declined. You could potentially then get charges if you have auto pay set up and that kind of thing. And because of the outage, I decided to switch my funding method from the debit card to bank account access, um, just as a temporary measure, thinking that would work around. And it worked. I, I did that. I was able to make the payments and all was good. Then last night while I was out, I used the privacy app on my phone to switch the payment method back to the debit card, which was the original funding method. And then it came up with a notice saying your account is under review and has been paused. Now, I've been a long-standing customer of privacy.com for many years. Um, I won't tell you exactly how much, but I spend a considerable amount of money through them each month. A lot of my day-to-day -day expenses goes through privacy.com. And now my account was essentially in limbo, I couldn't create cards, I couldn't process transactions, I couldn't do anything. Now the problem is, privacy.com don't have a phone number. There was no way I could call them like I would my bank or credit card company with this urgent issue. So it really left me scrambling and ruined my evening because I had to go through several online services that I use and switch the payment card to another one. Now this hasn't put me off using privacy.com, I am still a fan. The fact they don't have a phone number is a concern. Their support are pretty good, but it can take up to 48 hours to get a response. And this got me thinking, if I was ever locked out of my privacy account, then I have no way of listing my card details, such as the card number, expiry date and the code at the back. Sometimes when I'm going onto a website and placing an order, it might say, please confirm your card details. I've had that with Amazon. But if I can't get into the privacy app, then I can't look up those card details and I have hundreds. So my first tip is if you use privacy.com, make a record of the card number, the expiry date, the three-digit code in your password manager. Even better, have a separate password database just for this. 
store all of those in one place. Now, sure, if they pause your account like they did to me, that's not going to do you any good. But at least you've got the original card details, which some merchants actually want to verify with you. Now, think of this as a lesson learned from the field. I have probably too heavy a reliance on privacy.com cards. So I do need to rethink my strategy that what if that gets taken away from me? At the end of the day, they're not a bank. They don't have a dedicated customer service line that's open 24 hours a day. I can call my credit card company anytime from anywhere in the world, and they're pretty good. And I don't expect that level of customer service from privacy.com. It's not reasonable to treat them in the same way. And it's worth pointing out that I could go to a supermarket right now and pick up a bunch of prepaid Visa gift cards. The problem with those is I have to have a specific amount on those cards. And then when the balance expires, I have to use another one. And you can get reloadable uh, prepaid cards. I think that's the correct term. But they, I believe, do need to verify the, your identity. So you can't use alias names. So we really don't have many options. And as I said, I am a huge fan of privacy.com. I just need to rethink my tactics. And this really highlights that problems can occur. The techniques we deploy to help improve our privacy and security can backfire, as it did with me. I'm still locked out of my account as I record this, but I have hope, uh, despite it being Thanksgiving this week, that they're going to unlock my account for me. Otherwise, I'm going to have many declined transactions. I think my new strategy for this is going to be usedprivacy.com for things like the Starbucks app. You know, I have an account with Starbucks in an alias name, of course, with a privacy.com card. I order a lot of items off Amazon. I use a privacy.com card for that and not use it for critical services such as my utilities at home. And this is coming back to the practical side of privacy. You know, your family members, your wife, if you're traveling away, for example, you don't want to leave them completely stuck and in a difficult situation if you're not around that the privacy app isn't working or uh, for some reason they can't access your virtual card that you've used. I'm going to be rethinking my strategy, but I will actually continue to use privacy.com. They've been invaluable to me. Despite the issues of the past week, I will be continuing to use their services. I really don't think there are any viable alternatives. Obviously, I mentioned Visa gift cards. In the UK, where I'm originally from, as you can tell from my accent, there are actually a couple of options. Uh, Wise.com, which are formerly known as TransferWise, apparently they offer virtual cards. I've not used it. I can't recommend them, but it's something to check out. And there's another uh, service in the UK, and I believe it's available in the US as well, called Revolt. That's R-E-V-O-L-U-T dot com. Now, I've read some concerning issues of their past. Uh, I believe there was a data breach at Revolt and some other shady practices, but apparently they're pretty good. Um, I'm not going to recommend them again. It's just another one for you to check out. And the next strategy that I'm going to look into quite seriously is a credit card by City. They have something called True Name, uh, which allows transgender, LGBTQ, or anyone really that wants to use a different name on their card to do just that. Now, I know our mutual friend Michael Bazell has talked about this in the past and had some success with it. The reason I like this idea is when I'm making quite substantial purchases, whether that be a hotel, a flight, anything like that, there's nothing wrong with privacy.com, but I'm not getting any benefits or rewards back and it's not a credit card. City is, so I have the protections that credit cards give you. 
I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And in future episodes, I will let you know how I get on. And finally, there is IronVest, formerly known as Abine Blur. They do more than virtual cards. I think it's a compelling idea and worth looking into. Again, I haven't used it. I have looked into Abine Blur in the past, um, before they became IronVest, and I did discount it for various reasons. Right now, I have to recommend that privacy.com is still the best option. Just make sure to have a backup of those card numbers and an alternative in case you get locked out of your account. And with that, thank you again for listening. As I said before, this is a new podcast, so I really do welcome your feedback and suggestions, anything you think I should cover. You can contact me on Twitter, which is at privacypod, or if you prefer, with my ProtonMail address, which is lockdownpodcast at protonmail.com. Now, I'm going to be travelling for the next few weeks, so there won't be another podcast episode until the first week of December. But when I'm back, I'll be talking about PFSense and VPNs, in particular how I've configured my home network. I use Ubiquiti uh, Wi-Fi access points. I have multiple VLANs and multiple Wi-Fi SSIDs, always on VPNs, and a whole heap of complication. With that... I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, have a great weekend and see you in December.